The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, we're back. Disability Law Show once again is with you. We are with you and uh, you're with us. So it's uh, it's one big happy family. John Scholes here hosting and my good pal James Fireman from San Firu to Markin LLP is uh, always in attendance. One with the knowledge and the answers to all of your questions. You can reach out, by the way, after the show is done anytime to James. And he's got a team with him as well, hired very effectively to uh, to help you and serve you no problem. one 855 215900 would be the number. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, emails already piling in and questions, James. We'll get to those over the course of the hour. But uh, you always start off with the case of the day or the week that was. Brother, what's going on your end? Well, you know, the weather's starting to turn, Mr. Spools. The leaves are of many different colors or on the ground, and mm-hmm. it's starting to get pretty cold out there, which means a couple of things. There are a couple of topics that I think are important to go over whenever we start entering the colder months of the year. So one is about travel. So the winter season, often we we have people who want to travel and visit family that are living across the country or perhaps elsewhere around the world. And for those people who are involved in the disability claims process, that can present some issues. So I think it's worthwhile bringing that to light and having a brief discussion about that so people understand where the issues lie and what they can do in order to be able to see their loved ones to go places they'd like to go and so Mm -hmm. forth. So each disability policy is going to typically have a provision that will address whatever restrictions are imposed by the policy on your ability to travel. Usually, for most policies in Canada, there is no restriction in terms of being able to travel within the country. So that's the good news. If you want to travel somewhere within the country, you have family living out east or out west or wherever, you are typically free to go and there is no direct impact on your benefits. The insurer could not say, oh, well, you went to Vancouver or you went to the Maritimes and therefore we're cutting off your benefits simply because you chose to travel. If you plan to leave the country, whether it's to visit family or perhaps just to get some sun, then there may be some issues you need to be aware of. Most policies will say something to the effect of, if you intend to leave the country for more than 14 days or 30 days, or sometimes just longer, I've seen some as long as six months, but in any case, some restricted and limited amount of time, if you intend to leave beyond that amount of time, you cannot do so without getting permission from your insurer first, or they have the right to stop paying your benefits. So first of all, It doesn't necessarily mean because you've gone away and your insurer doesn't give you approval that your claim is done. It typically will mean that they will stop paying you benefits during that time. So that is an important distinction, but nonetheless, people would obviously prefer to continue receiving their benefits. So first and foremost, get a copy of your policy if you intend to travel and take a look at what the provision says. Be familiar with it and understand what the parameters are. If it is your intention 
to travel beyond the scope of what is permitted in the policy, then it's a really good idea to do two things. One, talk to your doctor first and make sure that your doctor is on board with right. you traveling, not just going to where it is, wherever it is you're going to go, but the actual travel involved, especially if you have a physical disability, uh, if you have a back issue that limits your ability to sit or stand for a particular period of time, you want to make sure that your doctor is on board with however it is you intend to travel down there. Once you have approval from your doctor, written approval saying that it is okay for you to go, or in some cases, it may even be that your doctor says it's a good idea for you to go. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Then you approach your insurer and say it's your intention to travel from this date to this date and you're seeking their permission. Now, another thing that you can do to improve the your chances of getting the insurer to be on board is in advance of asking them, make sure that you have addressed all of your treatment responsibilities in advance. So if you are having, for example, let's say you have a mental health condition and you have a bi-weekly, so once every two weeks you have therapy. Right. It would be a great idea if your therapy would be within the two-week period or while you're planning to be away to have prearranged with your therapist for virtual therapy if yep. they offer that and to include that in the letter from your doctor or therapist saying that it is a good idea for you to go. And on that topic, what I had mentioned a moment ago about some doctors or therapists saying it will be a good idea, I see this quite frequently around people who have mental health issues very frequently, and I'm not saying that this is going to be true across the board because I'm not qualified to give that kind of advice, but I do very frequently come across clients who have mental health issues and whose doctors are suggesting that it will be beneficial for them to go down south for a couple of weeks or to go visit family or what have you. So that is, of course, always useful. So you want to approach your insurer with not only support from your, from your doctor or therapist, but also a plan where it will show how you intend to continue your treatment while you are away. And if you do that, you have a much better chance of having your insurer agree that you are entitled to do that and give you permission to go beyond the scope of what you intend to do. I would highly suggest, even if you are within the scope of what is allowed in your policy, even if you are staying within Canada or leaving Canada, but for a shorter period of time than the restrictions uh, would limit you to, I would still strongly suggest in advance making sure that you're able to continue your treatment while you're away. It just makes sure that your insurance company doesn't have an argument beyond just the uh, restrictions in the policy about travel that you're not getting the proper treatment because that is the other issue. Even yeah. if you are traveling within the restrictions, for a shorter period of time or staying within Canada, if your insurer believes that in doing so, you are not getting the proper treatment that you are required to receive under the policy, they could take the position that you're not entitled to your benefits because you violated the policy in that way. So again, it's always a really good idea to think in advance and to arrange for whatever treatment you need to be available to you while, you're, while you are away. If you can't get the treatment that you need, for example, let's say you are getting physiotherapy, then you want to get support from your physiotherapist that going away for that 
period of time isn't going to set you back. And oftentimes, a physiotherapist will at least be able to give you exercises that you can do on your own that will help you to maintain whatever progress that you've made. So that can be beneficial in getting your insurance company on board as well. So these are the things that you really want to be thinking about if you are intending to travel in advance. Kind of Another the big issue. Dis- oh, sorry, John. Go ahead. Sorry, it just—it kind of sounds like the big distinction is you know whether you just want to go away and get permission versus your doctor saying yes, going away can and should be part of your therapy. I think that might be the easier route. Yeah, if you have medical backing. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, there are some situations, particularly around mental health, where right. you find that doctors Smart. and therapists are not just okay with it, but are actually uh, suggesting it as being a good idea, something that will help you that is a situation where an insurance company would be hard pressed to say Mm -hmm. as long as you're not saying you're going away for six or seven months if you're talking about an extended leave that's always going to be problematic it's always going to be difficult to get insured on board but if you're talking about uh, going to florida for three weeks or four weeks or what have you and your doctor and therapist is on board with that as long as you're showing that you're getting your continuous treatment your insurance company should agree with that doesn't mean they will but they should if you've done what you can in advance you're putting yourself in the best position possible uh there is one other topic that i had uh raised that comes up around this time of year as well and that's really more tied to weather conditions ice and snow so of course at some fear to market we we not only deal with long-term disability claims but we also deal with many personal injury claims and so it's important to remember when the sidewalks start getting icy that there are things that you need to do if you happen to be the victim of a slip and fall accident so first and foremost you need to be aware that if you fall on city property there is a 10-day limitation period where you must notify the city within that notice period and if you fail to do so your claim could be barred because they haven't had an opportunity to investigate the claim so if you fall on a city street or a sidewalk you have to notify the clerk of the city and you can usually find those forms online if you have problems you can call our firm we can direct you in the right place provide you with the link so that you can make that you can give the municipality notice to preserve your right to bring a claim it doesn't mean you're bringing one it just means that if down the road you need to bring a claim because your injuries are significant and don't resolve you'll be able to do it the other thing is you want to make sure that you document the fall as best you can which means taking a picture of the scene everybody is walking around with a really good camera in their pockets these <laughs> right. because virtually everyone's got a smartphone and if you don't the person next to you almost certainly does so if you slip and fall make sure that you take good photographs of the area where you fell that will show the maintenance or lack of maintenance in the area particularly yeah. the ice where you fell whether or not the area had been plowed, shoveled, salted, etc. You want to make sure that evidence is preserved from the time that it happened so that if down the road you decide to bring a claim, you'll have good evidence and you'll be able to rely on that and have a successful claim. Great start, brother. We're going to hold on for a sec. we got to slip into a uh, quick break, get back into your emails and questions. Ming, you're up first. Thank you so much for contributing to the uh, the show today. We'll get to that uh, just after the break. In the meantime, the number to reach out to James and team, one 855 
800-221-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca, and the website is simply disabilityrights.ca. You'll catch past radio shows on the media page and our uh, links to our television show as well. We'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show in a moment. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And one. And we're back. Disability Law Show continues. James Fireman is the guy to reach out to when the show's not happening. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you want to ask some more questions with that email address, you can. Or you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. Also a free and anonymous website for you to ask your stuff. All right, James, first one up today is going to be Ming says, guys, I'm writing this because I've been on LTD since February of 2023 for anxiety and depression, and I'm not sure what the process is for returning to work after being on LTD. My doctor was given some forms to complete by the insurer consisting of nine questions about my condition, returning to work, etc., etc. Last week, I met with my doctor. And she thinks it would be okay for me to return to work in a few weeks on a modified schedule. We're talking 50% or two days per week. Can you please answer the following questions? I'll give these to you one at a time, James. Number one, should I let the insurance company know about my recent session with my doctor and possible return to work in a few weeks? Or should I wait for the insurer to get the completed medical forms? I think if it's a matter of a couple of weeks, there shouldn't be a problem in waiting for your insurer to get the completed medical forms. But I also have no issue with notifying the insurer in advance either. It is what you are going to do. And so notifying the insurance company that that's your plan isn't especially problematic. If your insurance company is going to insert themselves into the process, they're going to do it anyway. So it doesn't necessarily change anything whether you notify them now or down the road. With that in mind, it may even be better to let them know in advance so that there is no issue that you were hiding it in any way or were trying to deceive them. Certainly that's not the intention here, Mm. but it can just avoid any complications down the road. So in this particular case, I think you're probably better off letting them know in advance, but if you want to wait and just see how things go for the first couple of days i don't necessarily think it's the end of the world either as long as it's clear in the doctor's records and you you let the insurer know uh, within a very short period of time i think it's fine number two uh question in this uh segment from ming again james thinking about going back to work or how's he okay to go back to work in a few weeks possibly on modified duty should i contact my union first to find out the next steps to return to work before contacting the disability management consultant in hr at my work Is it common practice to involve the union when returning to work after being on LTD? So I would definitely recommend contacting your union first. And I say that because I don't have a lot of familiarity with how unions work because it's just not the area of law where I have expertise. And more to the point, each union is different. Each union uh, and the members in each union are going to be operating under different collective bargaining agreements. And those agreements, those collective bargaining agreements, are going to govern the relationship between your union and the employer, and that dictates what you're supposed to do in an employment context. So I wouldn't, even if I had expertise in dealing with unions, I still wouldn't necessarily know Ming's particular collective bargaining agreement Mm. 
that means union is under. And so it, it's really important that you contact your union member first to make sure that you have an understanding of the issues involved before you raise this with your employer, um, just to make sure that there is nothing that you haven't considered before starting the process. And I wouldn't even know what that might be. That is definitely something that would be within your union's purview. So absolutely good call contact your union representative first. Make sure there aren't any issues before talking to the HR person at your uh, with your employer. And the third and final question for uh, from Ming is this, James. How could a 50% modified workload affect my full-time salary? Is it common for a company to pay part-time wages and then the insurer to pay the difference? So again, this is going to be uh, a function of not just your collective bargaining agreement, but also your particular policy. So in terms of whether or not your employer would pay part-time wages, I expect that they would. It would be reasonable to assume if you're working 50% that you would be getting something like 50% of your salary. But that's going to be a function of the collective bargaining agreement, which I don't know what means collective bargaining agreement would say. So for that part of it, what your employer would pay, you'd have to look at the collective bargaining agreement. And again, going back to the previous question, talk to your union member about that. In terms of what would happen with the insurance company, that's going to depend on the policy, on the long-term disability policy, which, again, is different from person to person. We talk about long-term disability policies on the show as though they are uh, standard, though they are all the same. And Mm -hmm. for a big chunk of it, that's true. When we're talking about the test to determine whether or not you are disabled, from a substantive point of view, that is typically almost exactly the same from policy to policy. But there are differences when you start looking at particular issues, such as how any given policy is going to treat income that is earned on a partial basis while you are still considered disabled under the policy. And so that's something where you really have to dig into the details in your particular policy to determine how it's going to be applied. There are some policies that will say, depending on how long you've been on claim, that it may just be a dollar for dollar set off. So every dollar you earn is a dollar that you don't get through the insurance. That doesn't provide a lot of incentive for you to go back to work though. And so other insurers will have different formulas. For example, some will say that the first 20 or 35% of what you earn doesn't reduce anything that you would get by insurance, but beyond that it does. And then there are insurance companies that have very complex formulas where every dollar earned is of some benefit to you and of some benefit to the insured, which not for nothing is I think probably the best approach because it provides good incentive for people to return to work while benefiting both sides. So I think that's probably the better approach, but whether I prefer one approach or not doesn't really much matter. What matters is what is in your policy. So you need to understand that first. If you don't have your policy, you can typically ask for one through your employer or perhaps directly from your insurer. They ought to provide that to you. But if you're going through it and you don't understand what it means or how to decipher where to find that particular provision, give us a call. We're happy to go through it with you and walk you through what your policy says and make sure that you understand what's going on. 
Number's easy to add to use, guys, so pick up a phone anytime. As James mentioned, one 821 5900 I also mentioned MyDisabilityQuestions.com. I think we've got enough time this segment to uh, get a question from that particular uh, website. goes like this. Uh, guys, would a GoFundMe campaign jeopardize my long-term disability benefits? I'm on LTD, past, uh, past the two-year mark, CPP disability, and medically retired from my job. The purpose of the campaign would be to reimburse me for treatment costs and equipment slash renovations made due to my health. My family, friends, and I have realized this is most likely the best way to improve my quality of life uh, and my illness. This way, I can also hire my own home care. So for all that, James, what do you think? It shouldn't be a problem. It should not be a problem. But I can't promise you it won't be. GoFundMe or similar types of crowdsourcing uh, funding for particular issues is a relatively new phenomenon. And I think it's wonderful. I think it can be very helpful for many people who are in very difficult situations. I've seen this happen close up where uh, someone has died suddenly or has needed significant medical treatment. And the people at large can be very generous and that can help people a lot. How that impacts your disability policy is it, it shouldn't because what you are given through a GoFundMe campaign or a similar type of campaign isn't income. It's not something that you are working for. It's not something that you would be, as far as I know anyway, that you would be taxed on, but that's not really the issue. The issue is whether or not there is something in the policy that says that if you receive that money, it would be an offset to what you're entitled to under the policy. So in the in the previous question, Ming was asking about whether working would offset the benefits uh, and how that would work. And if you are working part-time and earning an income, that certainly will offset your benefits. This is different. This isn't working. This is not earning an income. So in most cases, it's not going to have any impact or shouldn't have any impact on your entitlement to disability benefits but you really want to be sure you want to take a look at the policy and see if there's any language in there that might be interpreted in some way to allow your insurance company to use that as a way to reduce or even eliminate what they owe you under the policy which obviously would be very unfortunate so number step number one is getting a copy of the policy and reading through it and seeing if there is anything that concerns you as long as there isn't, you're probably okay. But even if there isn't, I would think in the in that scenario, it would be a good idea to raise it with your insurer and just let them know that this is what you this is what is happening, and ensure that they don't take any position that they're entitled to uh, some sort of an offset. If they do, you absolutely want to make sure you know that in advance and understand exactly where it is that they believe the policy says that they are entitled to do that. I don't believe I've come across language in a policy that would specifically entitle an insurance company to reduce your benefits because of a GoFundMe campaign or something similar. I don't recall having ever seen that. But again, it's a new phenomenon. And it won't surprise me if we see policies issued in the future that have that account for that, that, yeah. that address that. And if you're wondering, you know, how can insurer do that because that's not really income, an insurance policy is simply a negotiated contract. It's negotiated between an insurance company and typically your employer. 
And so two sides can negotiate whatever they want. Even if it seems like it's quite unfair in the circumstances, if that is what's being offered by the insurance company and your employer says, yeah, okay, that seems like what we're looking to purchase Mm -hmm. and they're willing to pay the premiums for that, then that's what the policy says. And so you have to be careful that it's not in there. Again, I don't think I've seen anything like that yet. I can't recall having seen anything that would allow an insurer to do that, but be on the lookout because it is something that could be coming down the road and you want to make sure you don't get caught on that. So look at the policy. If it doesn't show anything in there, I would still raise it with your insurer and say you're intending to do this and just make sure that you have them in writing confirming that they will not take the position that they're entitled to an offset. It's it's interesting that you mentioned the you know might as well come out and tell them with the GoFundMe page. I guess it's the same thing if you know, you, you bang a fifty million dollar uh, Lotto Max ticket. I mean, do you have to tell them that you won the jackpot? I mean, I guess I guess upfront is always best, right? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, what you don't what you don't want is a situation where your insurance company finds out about it after the fact and thinks that you've been hiding it from them, and then they become motivated to try and find a way to to cut you off. They, if they find out about it on their own, they may they may think of it as you trying to go around them and find some way to get money without going around the policy, and right. they may look to find a way to cut you off. Whereas if you're upfront with them, and it's very clear that you're doing this to pay for treatment costs, this isn't income related, then it shouldn't be a problem. But again, check the policy. And with that, we'll get into a short break. Lots more emails and questions from MyDisabilityQuestions.com are coming up. In the meantime, here's that number again to reach out to James and his uh, his crew, 1-855-821-5900 would do it. Help at DisabilityRights.ca. And for any other links and contacts, simply go to the website, DisabilityRights.ca as well. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we're back. Disability Law Show. You bet. John Scholes, James Fireman from Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP is on board always. Answering the questions, taking the emails, and questions through mydisabilityquestions.com. That, by the way, free and anonymous place for you to ask questions. It has a searchable database. So maybe your question has come up in the past, save you some time. If not, leave it there and it will get answered. Might even appear on this show on the uh, on the future. But uh, back to an email from Lainey. Uh, James, let me read this. It says, can you please refer me to someone who is just like you, but in Alberta? My friend in Ontario recommended your firm, if I'm ever uh, in BC on disability. But I'm in Alberta and my friend is wondering if you might know someone in Alberta who does what you do because apparently you helped someone she knew and they said you were very, very good. I was on disability and my claim ran out in May of this year, 2023. So I have had no income since that time in May. So what do you think, James? Well, I have someone I would recommend for you in Alberta. Nice. So if you're in Alberta, I would recommend using Sanfiro Tamarkin and you could hire James Fireman. (laughs) I'm trying to be clever here, but it's we, true. we certainly we, we certainly uh, have uh, a presence in Alberta. We have an office in Alberta, and myself, Tamar, who you hear on the show frequently, uh, Savon, uh, Albert, we all practice in Ontario, in Alberta, 
in BC. So we are certainly available. And when I say we practice there, I don't mean that, okay, if you know, the random, one random person happens to call, we'll figure out a way to take it. We have a very strong presence in both Alberta and BC. All of us have several dozen files in each jurisdiction that we manage. We know the, the lawyers who work in those regions well, the mediators who mediate in those areas, we know them very well. The insurance companies all know us well through each jurisdiction. Yeah. And so, yeah, we are available to help whether you're in Ontario, in Alberta, or BC. We also do offer our services in other provinces, but outside of those jurisdictions, it's more of what I was referring to first, where we can find a way to do it, but it is something that we have to figure out. Mm -hmm. uh, in Alberta, BC, and Ontario, those are our core jurisdictions. That's where we typically practice. And so certainly we're able to help. I, I would also note, Lainey's email mentioned that uh, she had run out, uh, or she had been cut off, I believe, in it's May of 2023. No. So it's been several months that the, the claim has been sitting there. Now, Laney's going to be okay here. There's a two-year limitation period that applies in virtually every jurisdiction in Canada. And so as long as you bring a lawsuit for a denial or termination of benefits within two years, you're going to be okay. So Laney still has time. But I just want to point that out because it can be an issue if you wait too long, especially if you get caught up in that whole waste of a time appeals process oh, that yeah. we will undoubtedly talk about at some point later in the show. So just be aware of that. There is a two-year limitation period. And the reality is there isn't any reason to hold on to it and wait. The sooner you get the process started, the sooner you get it resolved. And there you go. So reach out to James and he'll, uh, he'll take care of you and your friend for sure. Back to mydisabilityquestions.com now, pal, says uh, my insurer has asked me to apply for CPP disability, which I'm beginning to do now. I was just wondering if it's best to authorize my insurer to provide my medical information to CPP or if I should compile my own and submit them. Perhaps it makes no difference. What do you guys say? I would I, I would allow your insurer to provide the the medical information, but I would provide it also on your own. Uh, allowing your insurer to do it just ensure it just makes sure that your insurer is not going to take the position that you've in some way not made a full attempt. So you're not blocking them. And keep in mind, your insurance company has a strong interest in your being approved for CPP oh, yeah. disability. They want you to be approved because if you're approved it saves them money. They get to deduct whatever your CPP disability benefit is from the requirement of the monthly benefit each month. If your monthly LTD benefit is $4,000 and you get approved for 1,200 in CPP disability, your insurer only pays 2,800 a month. So they want you to get approved for that. So I wouldn't uh, stand in the way of your insurance company providing the information, but I would also have my doctor uh, fill out the CPP disability application uh, in support of the claim because even though the benefit itself is going directly to the insurer if you're approved, it is still a significant benefit to you in getting approved for a few reasons. Number mm -hmm. one, it's getting a benefit from a different source, which means that if and when your insurance company eventually cuts you off, it's a separate source. So it's something of a safety net. Number two, the task for a CPP disability is more difficult than the typical LTD disability test. 
CPP disability requires a severe and prolonged disability. That's the test, severe and prolonged. That's more onerous than an LTD policy, which simply requires a medical condition that is preventing you from being able to function in your own occupation. That is an easier test to pass in LTD. And the reason why it's useful then is because if the government says that you have a severe and prolonged disability, it makes it difficult for your insurance company to turn around and say, even though the government says it's severe and prolonged, we say you can still do your own occupation. It doesn't make it impossible. I've certainly seen insurance companies take that position, but it's a much weaker position if you have the government on board saying it's a severe and prolonged disability. So there's a huge benefit from that perspective. The other nice thing is if you do have to bring a lawsuit, if your insurance company does cut you off and you bring a lawsuit against your insurance company, whatever you receive from CPP disability is yours. You keep yeah. that. Whereas everything else that you're trying to recover from your insurance company, you wind up hiring a lawyer and work on a contingency, which means that you're paying your lawyer a percentage of what you recover from the long-term disability insurer. And so if you can get some portion of what you're entitled to through CPP disability, it means you're paying less than legal fees down the road, which is obviously a good advantage for, for any individual who's looking at this. So in every way possible, I think it is a huge benefit to apply for CPP disability and to allow your insurer to help with that, but also to support that with an application that is completed by your own doctor. And with that, let's take a break. Yolanda just emailed us, said, uh, hey, guys, answer me this. So we'll do that, Yolanda, after a short break. In the meantime, here's how you reach out for the show or uh, beyond the hour of the show, you can always contact James, too, and his team. Uh, help at disabilityrights.ca. There's that email address we use. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. That's anonymous and one 821 5900 is how you go about doing that through the phones when the show is done as well. We'll continue more of the, the uh, Disability Law Show in just a moment. Hang in there. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, we're back. Disability Law Show, a few minutes to go. Thank you for all your contributions to the show. If we don't get to your email or your question from mydisabilityquestions.com in the remainder of this hour, we'll do it uh, on a future show for sure. Yolanda up next says, uh, Hi guys, I'm currently on LTD and not having any issues with my provider yet, but have, uh, have a concern perhaps you can help me with. I've been collecting LTD for the past four years due to shoulder injuries and unsuccessful surgery. I'm being paid the same monthly benefit now as I was four years ago. I just wonder why there is not cost of living increases to help with rising costs of food, housing, etc. You guys know the story. I think there should be some sort of yearly increases to assist us in paying our everyday expenses. If you have any insight into this, it would be greatly appreciated. Cheers, says Yolanda. What do you think, James? Well, I think Yolanda's right. I think it would be beneficial if there was a cost of living adjustment or COLA that was included in every long-term disability policy. But unfortunately, that's simply not the case. And the reason is because having a cost of living adjustment is more expensive for the insurer, which means that those policies require a higher premium. And it's something that is negotiated between the insurer and the employer. 
And typically speaking, most employers aren't going to pay the additional cost of a cost of living adjustment. Uh, it just makes the expense that much greater for your employer when they're paying the premiums every year. And they, most employers will just look at the options and will say, okay, well, I want to make sure that I get at least a certain percentage for my employees of their income every year. And then everything else is an add-on on top of that. And one of the first things that would be looked at is this cost of living adjustment. And that's going to increase the premiums, cost a bunch of money for the employer in terms of premiums each year. And employers typically will say, nah, I'm not going to take that and make that additional expense. I'll get the policy and I'll make sure that my employees are covered at a decent percentage of their salary but I'm not going to include the cost of living adjustment. Most people that go on disability probably won't be on it that long, and we're just not going to do it. That's unfortunate because there are people who are in Yolanda's situation, who are on disability for four years, eight years, ten years, whatever it is. And over time, if that disability benefit stays the same month over month, gives you less and less buying power year over year. That's just how inflation works. Uh, I don't want to make this into a finance show, but that's just common sense. And so it can put people in a very difficult spot if you don't have that. Unfortunately, if your policy doesn't have a cost of living adjustment, there's not a whole lot that can be done if and when you apply for disability benefits. If you want to do something about it, it has to be done proactively. The only way to really get anything done is to raise that as an issue with your employer. If it's important to you, then I would definitely recommend raising it gently with your employer as something that you feel would be of great benefit to yourself and to the other employees and asking if they would consider when they renew their policy to include a cost of living adjustment. Whether or not they'll agree to that is a whole other story, and I don't suggest uh, making it a, a an issue that could undermine your employment in any way, but it is an important issue for people who have disabilities that they have access to that, and unfortunately, it's very common that we come across policies where it hasn't been included. What I will say, though, is there is the option to purchase a, a personal policy. You don't have to rely solely on the disability insurance that you have through your group uh, benefit package. You can approach an insurance company, apply for your own disability policy, either on top of the one you get through work or on its own if you don't have any policy. And those policies are uh, adjustable to whatever it is that you want. You can purchase exactly the type of insurance that is going to suit your needs. And so if you do already have a policy through work, and this is more of a top-up policy, then your policy could be for a lesser amount, uh, but you could include a cost of living adjustment so that uh, down the road, if you are on disability for an extended period of time, it will address that. Or if you don't have your own policy through work, then by all means, take a shot at it and get a fulsome policy where you're going to have a cost of living adjustment. There are also other things that you can include in a personal policy. So one of the things that we we talk about often is the change of definition at the two-year mark, mm -hmm. where it goes from whether or not you're able to do your own occupation to whether you can do any occupation. If you buy a personal policy, you can typically purchase a rider, so it will be a little more expensive. But you could purchase a rider that will keep the test at your own occupation right through to 65, which can be wow. really, really helpful. 
uh, you know, especially if you're in a physical job. If you're in a physical job and you are injured in some way and can no longer do your occupation, after two years, the test is whether you can do any other occupation. And in most cases, you're likely going to be able to find something else that you're able to do. So the policy will typically stop paying you after two years. But if you have this own occupation rider that keeps your benefits going until age 65, if you're disabled from your own occupation, then the insurance company doesn't have that option and you're much better protected. I would suggest if you are looking at personal insurance, talk to your broker, ask them about the available riders and find a policy that is going to be best suited for your needs. Yeah, that one almost sounds like a no-brainer, like you said, especially if you got a physical job for whatever extra cost, it seems like it'd be really worth it, right? Do you run into those all the time? It's a, So the personal policies are less frequent. Uh, right. It's just that the availability of policies through employers is so common that a lot of people just don't think to add that for themselves but yeah. it's not so uncommon that you know you're shocked when you see one um typically actually when we do see them i see them in conjunction with it with a group disability policy somebody who has decided to get it on top of their existing uh coverage and that's always a great idea too can the insurance company james insist on having a person assessed more than once like an ime or something like that for rehab like keep going and going well, they can as long as it's reasonable, but uh, the, you know there are limits to how often they can impede on your life. They have to make sure that everything that they're asking for in terms of assessments is justifiable. And so they can't send you to you know five or six different doctors, especially if they're if their areas of expertise aren't relevant to your particular disability. But they're entitled to get updated information over time and Certainly, if it's been six months or a year, then if the insurer wants to spend their money on that, they're entitled to do so. Okay, we're just about uh, just about out of time for this particular show, James. Awesome stuff. In the meantime, you want to reach out to James before the next show occurs. You can do that anytime. Just call the number, right? one 821 5900 The email address we use every show is the one you can use anytime, help at disabilityrights.ca. We also went to mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a free and anonymous website to ask your questions, searchable as well. And if you want short, concise uh, information about LTD, lots of different topics, go to ltdfaq.ca. Again, it's absolutely free, ltdfaq.ca. And we're uh, ready to catch you next time here with more of your emails and input and questions on the next edition of the Disability Law show enjoy the rest of your weekend the preceding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of chorus entertainment